Hey, Britney fans, you're listening to That Britney Podcast with your hostesses, Erin and Casey. We're so excited to talk to you about all things Britney and Britney adjacent, beginning with her memoir, The Woman in Me. Just to quickly summarize, because we talked a lot, a lot in, in the last episode about her family dynamics and all about her relationship with her parents and with her older brother and so now in chapter five we're just kind of shifting gears so Erin what what are we talking about now shifting gears quite a bit and I might add shifting gears to the stuff that I really really am ready for Brittany is finally starting to enter competitions so girlfriend is five years old and she starts competing for the next three years And during this time, she says she worked her way through the talent circuit. But what I really need to talk about is, and this jumps right in in the beginning of the chapter. Um, She says, before long, my parents set their sights on bigger opportunities than what we could accomplish picking up prizes in school gymnasiums. Casey, I'm going to read that one more time with the emphasis where I think the emphasis should possibly go. She Uh says... Before long, my parents set their sights on bigger opportunities than what we could accomplish picking up prizes in school gymnasiums. Okay, so right out the gate, the question that I want to know, is this something that you think five-year-old Brittany wanted, or do you think her parents were the driving force? What do you think? A lot to unpack. Okay. Here's what I think. I think that very young children can have interests and talents and hobbies. Absolutely. As far as taking it to the level of participating in talent competitions and all that comes with that, that is a parent thing. Don't, I mean, don't you, I feel like there's kind of this element in the book in this chapter and in the next few chapters where she and her ghostwriter are sort of writing around the fact that things are happening, but these things don't just happen to you. It takes a lot of steps to get, you know, into this talent circuit, to get onto Star Search, to get onto the Mickey Mouse Club. That takes a parent or a family or a team of people pushing this child to quote unquote success. I mean, what do you think? I totally agree. And what I would say is as a child, I wanted nothing more than this. Okay. Okay. Yeah. 100%. Like I, when I was in dance, you had to audition to be in the performing group. I remember being like, that was my end all be all. And I, you couldn't audition if you couldn't do the splits on both legs and I couldn't do the splits on both legs. So like I had, and this is me in kindergarten. So I am at five years old wanting to be in these performing groups. Like I wanted nothing more than to enter competitions, to audition for these types of things. I wanted to, I'm the type of gal that like wanted to be in beauty pageants. I wanted to be a model. Like, so were you 
in were you on the circuit like were you a child like were you a an aspiring child star were, did you have like an agent or headshots or tell me everything no <laughs> Casey <laughs> Hey, I, I, I mean, I, I mean, you're inspiring me now. I'm like, uh, yes, I believe in you, Aaron. Like, get this girl an agent. Like, put her, put her in the talent competition. Why didn't you? What okay. happened? So, first of all, I will forever be angry at my parents for not getting me an agent when I was me too tiny because I looked like freaking Shirley Temple. I had you did ringlets. Like I could have starred, I could have been the commercial star of 1983. I could have. Um, Absolutely. Absolutely. Wh what happened was post three, I lost my toddler cuteness. I was never talented enough to enter competitions. I can't sing. I wasn't pretty. I was overweight. <laughs> I was like all of these things that you know, growing up, I was never going to make it big or do any of this. So I, I also think that that's part of why I wanted it. If I was pretty enough, I could enter into a beauty competition and have a talent if I was a good enough dancer or a good enough singer. Like I wanted all of these things. I wanted to be pretty and talented. And I think those types of activities during the 80s, Yes. And early 90s were our validation of those types of things. Like if you could yes. make there, then you were a good dancer. If you could make, if you could audition and make it into the performing group, you were a talented dancer. I think that I, I, at that age wanted it, A, because I had fun doing it. I, you know, was a show kid. But I also think that a lot of it meant validation. I was just telling a story the other day about how my mom and I, and I was a little older at this point, I'm guessing around 10 years old. And there was a fashion show at the mall. Do you remember the mall with the carpet? The SeaTac Mall, of course. Yes. Yes. 100%. So yes, 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 yes. We yes. were at that mall and there was, there was a fashion show and the fashion show was sponsored by LA Gear. The tennis oh, big, big, big fan. Absolutely. And they had like, the cool thing was like all of the fun ways that you could tie the shoes. And yes. they were handing out flyers that had like diagrams on how to tie your LA gears. Um, but I was sitting there watching this fashion show and I told my mom, I'm like, I want to be in a fashion show. My mom marched backstage, took me with her and started talking to anyone who looked like they were important and said, how do we, how do I get you into a, how do we get my daughter into fashion shows? So this, having this story and this background gives me a little bit of a different perspective on what she's talking about. Um, because I get if your daughter says she wants to be in a fashion show and you're a mom who loves your daughter, you walk back and find out who's in charge and how do I get my daughter into a fashion show? So there is all of this being said, even though these were my thoughts and feelings about what I wanted, who's to say that had I started doing it, that I would want to continue to do it? Because I think that that's well, also... What happened to Brittany is that she maybe wanted it really bad at the beginning when she was five. 
and then at some point was like, okay, I'm done. And then the parents started to push. Yeah. I do think that there are kind of varying degrees of how involved the parents are, how extreme they're taking to what extreme they're taking these things to your example of the fashion show at the local mall is a great example of here's a way that maybe I can get my kid involved in something that they're expressing interest in, but it's kind of like low bar to entry, low risk. If they decide they don't like it, no harm, no foul. That's a lot different than what we find in this chapter and in the next few chapters where they're flying her back and forth to New York to audition for, you know, off Broadway musicals and things. And you're kind of wondering, oh, how much of this is her? Because they basically have to uproot their whole life. As we've touched on in previous episodes, Erin is really the, the natural performer, you know, of the podcast. And I can also imagine how the idea of, you know, being in talent competitions would be really appealing to somebody who has a lot of talent and is really comfortable on stage and performing in that, you know, context. So I was just going to say, did you ever do a talent show? Oh, God, no, 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 (laughs) no. I I didn't think so. I I don't think, I mean, if I did, I've completely blocked it out of my memory and it would take even more therapy to kind of like, unearth that but I at least as far as I can recall I don't I can't imagine raising my hand for something like that we're and we'll get into exactly what you were talking about we'll get into that a little bit more so let's keep going so after she's kind of going through this talent circuit parents set their sight on something higher for her Brittany starts talking about the first time that she auditioned for the Mickey Mouse Club and she was one of over 2,000 kids who auditioned Christina Aguilera was included in that group of kids, but ultimately neither one of them made the cut because they were too young, but it sounds like they were both encouraged to audition again. After the auditions, Brittany comes back to Louisiana and for the next six months, Brittany worked at her great grandmother Lexi's seafood restaurant. She was nine years old, cleaning crawfish, and waiting tables. What? I mean, this is the same woman she's not allowed to be alone with, but she's running a business? I don't know. Something's not adding up here. Totally one of my thoughts. I'm like, her parents said that she's not fit to to be alone with Brittany, but the woman is running an entire seafood empire. The other, the other thing that I wrote down is um, that she was working at nine years old. I wrote, you better work, bitch. (laughs) I mean, this girl has worked from a very young age, guys, a very young age, indeed. Let her rest. So then Brittany briefly talks about being signed on to a talent agency in New York, but she rapidly changes the topic to another childhood trauma. And Casey, this is exactly what I've been talking about. This like manic writing style that jumps around. Uh, Okay. I think I have coined a term. I'm going to call it literary whiplash. Here's where we insert the sound effect. We need need a whip and we also, we need a car, a car skidding sound. Yeah. And we're going to also maybe have to use that for the vehicular incidentals count vehicular incidentals i like that we're gonna need a lot of special effects 
<laughs> dust them off dust them off let's hire a foley artist we're just going <laughs> we're going they're all going to be homemade artisanal sound effects <laughs> yes farm to table sound effects oh my god i love it and we're doing it so anyway, total literary whiplash because she goes from talking about a talent agency to this traumatic story. You ready for it? So the story that she tells goes like this. Her mom gives birth to Jamie Lynn and a few days after coming home from the hospital, Lynn experiences a very graphic postpartum hemorrhage and Brittany was witness to the entire thing. So here we are, this poor Brittany experiencing another trauma, a physical trauma right before her very eyes. I mean, I can see how bearing witness to something like this, not just as a young child, especially as a young child, as me right now at my age, I would be traumatized by, by witnessing this. So that would be horrible in and of itself. It also sounds like the aftermath of it wasn't really dealt with in a way that allowed her to process what she she had witnessed and all of the feelings that she felt that came with that. She talks about having a lot of abandonment issues, specifically with her mother. So it, this was a really, really harrowing story. My, I did feel a lot of empathy for for Lynn in this moment uh postpartum is traumatic in many ways for many many women we don't really talk about a lot or enough so I in this moment I did feel a sympathy for Lynn that I don't feel for her in most of the book so the chapter ends with her saying that even though she was signed on to an agency and her dreams were coming true, that what she really wanted was a safe and secure home life. And she says that she felt powerless. Only while performing was she truly invincible. And at least that was one thing that was completely within her control. And I think that when she was on stage and when she was performing, she could escape all of these things that she was experiencing and all of these things that were happening to her. And that's why when she was on stage, she felt in control because she was escaping all of these trials and tribulations and terrible people. Yes. Oh my gosh. This, the theme of escape that came up in that earlier chapter where she's hiding in the cabinet, but she wants attention. And then in the next chapter, she's dancing on tables to try to get anyone in the house to pay attention to her. And it is really as much about control as it is about performance. I think that that's a really sad and interesting kind of thread that we're going to kind of see throughout the entire memoir but it's something that's kind of jumped out especially in the last few chapters as she's coming into her own as a performer and who she's going to be ultimately as a superstar okay chapter six opens with the following sentence quote when i was 10 i was invited to be a contestant on star search all right already hold up again we're glossing over the tons of steps that it takes to get onto Star Search. One doesn't just walk into Mordor and one does not simply accept an invitation to appear on Star Search on, on national television. So again- Where was my invite? I didn't get invited. Exactly. 
that was my first question. Where was Aaron's invite? So, you know, we're, we're all thinking it again. So I, it, it just struck me that this chapter is pivotal in a lot of ways, which we're going to see. And it opens with her just glossing over her parents' involvement in all of the things that took place for her to be on star search, which was as Aaron will back me up a very, very, very big deal in the eighties and nineties. Oh my God. Yes. We need to talk about my hands are up. Like I'm preaching at at a church right now behind a podium. We need to talk about what star search was as a cultural touchstone for many of our Gen Z listeners who haven't heard of it. And believe me when I say we have so many Gen Z listeners. So So let's just give them a a really quick rundown of what Star Search was. In short, it was an amateur talent competition on TV that ran from 1983 to 1995, hosted by an elderly white man named Ed McMahon. He was famous for sitting on a couch next to Johnny Carson for 30 years. Many, many famous people appeared on Star Search before they hit the big time, including Leanne Rimes, Justin Timberlake, Beyonce, Dave Chappelle, Rosie O'Donnell. There's a lot more, so I'm not going to name them all. But Aaron, what do you want to say to everyone about Star Search? First of all, I watched the shit out of Star Search. Did you watch the shit out of Star Star Search? We'll fix it in post. Update. They did not get around to fixing it in post. You win some. You lose some, as we say in showbiz. Yes, every episode with my mom. We loved it. We loved it. I can't say that every child was sitting watching this with their mom in the 80s. Um, I do think that we are a special kind of um, child. (laughs) It was a huge deal for anyone who had any interest and found any kind of enjoyment in being entertained via dance, song, comedy. Um, Okay, so here's my question. Was it dance, song, stand-up, and modeling? Oh my God. I forgot that every episode there were two female models. Only female. That is so funny. I forgot. Yep. Because it was the 80s. And of course, there had to be like a gratuitous model. (laughs) Yes. Listen, I ate that. I ate it up. I mean, it's no coincidence that our three biggest interests in life are song, dance, and comedy. And we watched the show like it was our religion. Back on track. So Brittany makes two appearances on Star Search at the age of 10. She sings a Judy Garland song, and then she sings a Judd song. My question for you, Erin, is what song are you going to sing at age 10 on Star Search? We can pause. Here's where we can pause. And you can just like You can talk it out if you need to get a whiteboard, move some furniture around, really feel the space. Like, here's where we're going to take a timeout for a commercial break. Thanks, everyone. This episode is not brought to you by CopyZO. Their lawyers ask that we emphasize that we are not affiliated. However, they are always in our hearts and in our feet, looking for the perfect leg warmer and leotard combo. Sashay over to CopyZO for all of your dance needs. 
Again, no legal affiliation. That is an excellent question. But the other thing that I want to say before I even begin to answer it is that Brittany was 10. She did not look 10. She has always looked so much younger than her actual age. She's just itty bitty. Um, So tiny. When you said that, the first thing that came into my head is she they should have put her hair in curlers and she should have sang the good ship lollipop like let's let's get to something more age appropriate you know i'm glad you you pointed that out because when i read that her first song that she won her first episode with was i don't care by judy garland which is not of the times It's not age appropriate, like you just mentioned. It's just a very puzzling choice. It doesn't even seem like something her mom would know. Is this something that her and Lexi used to listen to? And she was like, oh, this is my grandma's favorite song. That's the first thing that I thought of when I read that. Cute. I love that idea. So Uh, it's like, how would that kid know that song? (laughs) And Casey, it comes up in the next two chapters like crazy. Her singing these wildly like I want to say inappropriate but not age appropriate songs and, and outdated yeah I just I don't know or yeah she could have sang freaking um give her Debbie Gibson I was just gonna say give her I get lost in your eyes give her that song or, or a, like a, a teen ballad something like that but or even like a Whitney Houston song which is vocal suicide for anybody to attempt and I don't suggest that anyone do it please don't actually because it's a hate crime however that would make more sense as a choice than Judy Garland so I I just love these quirky little choices that come up in the book where you're like who is this girl but also I do think another reason that they picked those kinds of songs for her is she would belt her stuff and her voice was so low and so alto for her being as young as she was that you would watch her and go look at this little thing just explode on stage and so I can see some of those song choices where you go okay I get it it's like showcasing what she can do but I don't necessarily you know who would you know who could tell us the answer to this I feel like Randy Jackson oh Randy yes. Jackson would be good at, at telling us what song Britney should have been singing you know great segue and with that ladies and gentlemen please welcome Randy Jackson <laughs> oh no. what was that we have a bad connection okay well we're gonna try to get him in at the end of the episode I think that that's a great point Aaron and I I do think too now that we're talking about it at first I, I thought Judy Garland what what is going on but then I remembered oh yeah she does have this weird obscure Broadway history maybe that has something to do with it too I don't know like my dance studio there were two sisters that made it onto Star Search and they did a tap routine to Chantilly Lace Elvis yeah so maybe that was Star Search's thing, picking a song that the adults will love watching children do. Maybe she was like, what is Ed McMahon into? Oh, yeah. Judy Garland. <laughs> Elvis Presley. <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. 
Right. Okay. So you were going to tell us as, as your 10 year old self, what song are you going to perform for your big star search debut? Um, I mean, I, I did say like good ship lollipop or something, Debbie Gibson ish, like all that jazz. Ooh, at 10 years old, you would have chosen that? I wouldn't have known about it to choose it. But if someone gave me that as an option, I would be like, yes, queen. Your mother would have sought out the vocal coach that would have chosen that song for you. And that's how it would have happened. I, I can see it. I can see it. And I think that's a perfect choice for you. Absolutely. Fosse, Broadway, it's a little sassy, classic, mid-range, you know, that no crazy, crazy high notes, which... You don't have to be a good singer to sing it. No, I. it's not like Let It Go. Do you know what I mean? Where there's that note at the end that you have to train for, for weeks, and even then you might not stick the landing. Yeah. I would choose something like all that jazz as well for that exact reason where it's like, okay, this is impressive vocally, but I'm not going to really embarrass myself if I happen to be having a not so great day. And listen, I, I have a vocal range of about eight notes. (laughs) I got, I got eight, I got one octave that I can sing. And if it goes higher than that, I'm screwed. (laughs) And hence why I did not get an invite to star search. And hence why I am your, I would love to be your vocal coach. <laughs> How about you sing and I've lip sync? <laughs> I love it. I it's love so that choice. And that was the, that was the correct answer. There was that there, that was a trick question. There was the correct answer and, and you got it. Okay. So here's where we get to the real meat and potatoes of this section, which is the creepiest interaction between Ed McMahon and young Brittany. Erin, would you like to help me with a dramatic reading of this? Sure. You had me a dramatic. I'll be Ed McMahon, okay? I'm going to start at the bottom of page 31. This is where they're waiting for their scores. Both Brittany and her competitor have sang, and now Ed McMahon is on stage, and, and he's kind of doing his banter with the contestants. He says, I noticed last week you have the most adorable pretty eyes. Do you have a boyfriend? No, sir. Why not? They're mean. Boyfriends? You mean all boys are mean? I'm not mean. How about me? Well, it depends. I get that a lot. And scene. Um, This is an audio medium, so you guys can't see that I'm burning my copy of the book right now. This is so gross. I can't tell you how many times I've witnessed this weird thing that certain adults do with younger children where they'll ask them if they have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, knowing that they're entirely too young to have a girlfriend or boyfriend and I don't know if it's meant to kind of tease them or embarrass them or to I don't know actually ask them the question because maybe some little kids do have girlfriends or boyfriends either way I just think it's so gross I remember being asked that question as a kid and being like you're gross get away from me Ed McMahon Aaron what did you think about this interaction between Brittany and Ed Wow. I think, I'm sure people will hate me for saying this, but it is totally generational. And just because it's generational, it is not acceptable. 
but this, I actually like what you said, where you're saying maybe it was him there. Maybe the old men are saying this just to tease it's a way to interact with kids or something. I don't know. And it's just like, yeah. And I think that they, it is kind of a teasing. I don't think that they're expecting to get an actual answer. Yes, I have a boyfriend. They're just razzing you, you know? And so I feel like this is something that was very common for older men to do. I definitely think that there's a sense of like, try, they're trying with all their might to make a connection. And it's just missing the mark. And culturally, we know now, no, you're not, you don't say that to a young girl. You don't say that to a young child. Um, Mm -mm. It's inappropriate. It's not okay. It's not acceptable. But I do understand that you have to put yourself in the shoes of like, this is happening in the mid eighties, you know? Mm-hmm. You don't have to agree. And I get it. Like, I get how entirely inappropriate. And I think that it's interesting that in this moment on live television with this man who is old enough to be her grandfather asking her these weird questions, and she's giving this answer to him that is at once deflecting by saying, I don't want boyfriends. Boys are mean. But that's also a really loaded thing to say right because at that age at you know 10 years old I think that that's maybe coming from a very natural age appropriate feeling of boys are kind of gross I remember feeling that way I also think that knowing what we know about her home life this could be getting at something deeper too Uh, you know it just struck me as interesting that she made that statement at this very public moment. And he's probably asking questions like this and making statements like this to every young child that is on this show. But guess what? He is talking to children who are show kids, who are theater kids, who actually are going to have a really good canned response. They're going to be able to improv an answer much better if someone my um my younger sister if he had said that to her tears she Mm -hmm. would have out in tears she would have hidden behind someone but someone who is well versed in publicly being in front of people and speaking in front in front of people you're getting these like fake answers from these kids which Mm -hmm. probably leads into him maybe thinking it's okay because he's not seeing these horrible reactions to what he's saying. People are playing along with him, but they're playing along with him because he's fucking Ed McMahon and they're on television. And they're actors. Yeah, they're child stars. So they know what they have to do. This is an audition to win the competition, but they also know that other people are watching who could also give them opportunities. And we see that that happens with that list of people who go on to become famous because of the show in part. And the other thing that's interesting is that this whole her deflecting with boys are mean and I don't have a boyfriend. Um, it she does go on, I believe it's in the next chapter, to say that in third grade, she held a boy's hand that she had a crush on. Um, they held hands under the table during a movie, and she loved that feeling. 
So, Mm -hmm. you know, she's not going to sit down and have a heart to heart chit chat with Ed McMahon about her crushes. Um, (laughs) Now that's a show I might watch. I don't know. Um, (laughs) But it it was a very PR answer. Um, But when you're get when all you're used to is getting PR answers from people, you don't quite realize how how what you're saying and asking to these kids isn't appropriate, doesn't make them feel good, you know? So I think he, to a certain extent, was also led to believe that it was okay. Yeah, yeah. And we do find out that after she goes on to lose, after this exchange, she, you know, gracefully waves and leaves the stage and then breaks down sobbing. So all in all, a mixed bag. Anyway, next up, Broadway. And here I have a note that says, questions for Erin abound. Um, Her first job, we find out, is an understudy for an off-Broadway show called Ruthless with an exclamation point as part of the title, which I can't get enough of. And the other understudy is none other than Natalie Portman. Erin... I have a million questions about this friendship, but then when I really started thinking about what those questions were and what I wanted to ask you, I realized that what I really have questions about is this kind of paradoxical nature of Natalie Portman's public persona. And I know this is like a bit of a tangent, but this is really what this part of the book made me think about because You remember that Lonely Island video short called Natalie Portman Raps, where she raps with Andy Samberg? 100%. I feel like that is kind of the encapsulation of what I'm getting at, where I have this idea of her as like Black Swan, Oscar nominee, very highbrow. She went to Harvard. She's always been like kind of like this manic pixie dream girl, like intelligent kind of nerdy but also really hot she's you know all of these things classic she's classic and classy she's classic and classy and she was at a time in the late 90s early 2000s when that really was not the aesthetic the aesthetic was Paris Hilton low-rise jeans bleach blonde hair tan skin and then here is Natalie Portman kind of this diametric opposite in a lot of ways And so when she pops up like this and we find out that she's the other understudy and Brittany and and Natalie become friends, I was just thinking, you know, am I the only one who's confused by Natalie Portman? Am I alone in this or what? Or what? You know, so I'm Natalie Natalie Comportment. I'm really (laughs) mixing my words. Oh my gosh. Okay. Natalie Portman she doesn't confuse me at all in fact now she doesn't confuse me at all I think Natalie Portman is the epitome of how to do child star correctly but I totally agree with what you're saying and I've never thought about it that like she didn't conform to what 2000 female celebrities were doing or what we thought they were supposed to be doing she just she remained classy like kind of above it all you know absolutely Um, but and that's why when she did the freaking lonely island 
digital short. Yes. It was so funny. And like, you know, you saw that and you know, okay, this is a cool girl that I would love to hang out with. Yes. But she, she is able to get that rise because there is such a discrepancy between her public persona and maybe she's probably sillier when she's at yeah. home. But like, she's putting forth this very put together just I just she's a class act yeah she does seem like a different type of celebrity so it's interesting that she comes up here and then she comes up later when I'm reading this thing about Natalie Portman that she's her understudy I'm like they should I bet they were really good friends and she doesn't talk yeah, that's a lot of downtime you're totally right I mean I don't know anything about being an understudy but when you you talk about it that way it's like yeah the job is to know every line of a role and then sit around in case that lead actor gets sick I mean right I'm yeah paraphrasing (laughs) but they both were sitting in hair and makeup prior to the show the you know any rehearsals or things like that I'm and I do think that this um the role she was probably on stage quite a bit so they might not have had quite as much downtime behind stage together but still they would have spent a lot of time together I would assume that they had but they knew each other very well at a young age she really doesn't talk about Natalie Portman is interested like their relationship and then also one of the big things to me is in all of this that Brittany is going through and not that I feel like it's Natalie Portman's responsibility at all, but why hasn't Natalie Portman reached out? Why aren't they, why isn't she helping Brittany? Or, you know, we're getting all of these strange people that come in and out of her life to help her. But I'm like, God, I really wish Natalie Portman would come out and forge a friendship with this woman. Again, yeah. not that it's her responsibility, but like, that's my secret hope. Yeah. <laughs> That is, I think, the secret hope in every chapter that some responsible, good-intentioned person will swoop in. Oof. Yeah, it's also interesting that, actually, I don't know if this is interesting. A lot of this stuff is just nerdy, nerdy shit. Because I was like, oh, who is she understudy for? And then it turns out it's Laura Bell Bundy. Do you know who that is? Laura Bell Bundy was Of course you know. (laughs) She's in the Legally Blonde musical. Did you watch the audition process for Legally Blonde on YouTube? It's a... I did not know that it was available. So thank you for also sharing that. It's a series. It's like several episodes. I mean, it must have aired, maybe it aired on something else, but they have a whole like casting of Legally Blonde. It's fascinating. Right up my alley. Interesting. Yes. She doesn't talk enough about the relationship with Natalie Portman because to your point, she does state that she is not loving being being an understudy. She has to be at the theater every night until as late as midnight in case she has to take over for Laura. Um, so her and Natalie are just chilling every night until midnight. Wait a minute. I want to know more. Was, was Natalie Portman also an understudy? Yes. There are two understudies. They're understudies together. Oh my God. Okay. So they spent... They spent a lot of time together. 
Also, is that normal for an off-Broadway production to have two understudies for one role? Doesn't that seem a little bit much? It does. Um, but I suppose if one kid gets sick and kids an understudy goes on, what? Yeah. Kids get sick. They sure do. <laughs> I um, Macy and I saw Moulin Rouge uh, at the Paramount, and there was someone got injured backstage during the middle of a production they shut they stopped the song dead in the middle of it oh. went black asked the cast to come backstage and they came back with an understudy so it i mean it happens wow okay so you heard it here it happens i it didn't know that <laughs> I, and i would assume need... with children it probably happens more i mean you're probably losing upwards of five children a month <laughs> is is my guess that sounds right. Yeah, that sounds about right. So one of the things that I thought was super interesting is that this char- it's the character that Brittany is playing. A bratty little girl who literally all she wants to do is be a theater kid. Mm-hmm. And the main song is called Born to Entertain. And immediately I'm like, okay, so she's how old singing born to entertain she goes on singing songs like i was born to make you happy i'm a slave for you i'm like i just feel like there's like a self-fulfilling prophecy here (laughs) when you're that young and that's the song you're singing how much of that was informed what she thought she should do versus what she actually wanted to do interesting Interesting question. We're asking the hard-hitting questions here. I don't want to jump ahead. However, I'm going to, because the thing that I noted here was she plays in this musical called Ruthless! Exclamation. She plays a sociopathic child named Tina Denmark. Sociopathic child is how she describes her character. Chapters later... In one of my favorite, favorite parts of the book, she talks about one of her biggest regrets being turning down the role of Roxy Hart in the movie version of Chicago. And she talks about being so drawn to this opportunity to be able to sing and dance and be sassy and kill a man, basically. So it's just interesting that all of her theatrical Broadway would-be roles are they kind of have like this darkness, like this edge of, you know, something else going on. Anything else about the this Broadway section? She basically gets burnt out. And by the time Christmas rolls around, she's horrified to learn that she will have to work through Christmas. And then she decides that she wants to quit and that the schedule and this grueling pace is not for her and I was a little surprised that her parents allowed her to walk away from the opportunity but maybe it was grueling for them as well I did note that it did seem like her mom did just kind of let her go home she wanted to go home for Christmas and that I was like okay I feel like Brittany is being heard Mm -hmm. um, by her mom which surprising was surprising and and made me happy to hear that uh she says with that experience under her belt she auditions again for the mickey mouse club 
And while she's waiting to hear back, she becomes a basketball point guard. And then the rest of the chapter is about how much she loves playing basketball and that's it. And then at the very tail end, she closes things out by saying it wasn't the same as being on stage in New York City, but under the bright lights of the court, waiting for the sound of applause, it felt like the next best thing. So she is drawing a parallel between what it feels like to play and love sports and what it feels like to perform on stage and also to love that. So I guess that's what we're we're meant to get from that. But what did you get from from this last part of of the chapter? Same thing. Just I think she, you know, she left Broadway and came home and basically found yet another thing that she could do where she could be in front of a crowd, getting attention, receiving accolades, acknowledgement of her talent. I really get the sense that it was important for her to hear that she was good at what she was doing and how much she really did enjoy a performance whether it whether it was on a basketball court or wherever it may be she did truly love performing Mm -hmm. even though she says that she wanted to leave the show she still talks about how like her being in front of the crowd and being Mm -hmm. in a theater in front of a small intimate audience where she could connect with them how much she loved that Mm -hmm. even though she wasn't super into like the format maybe of Broadway she still she got a taste of she got a taste she caught the bug yeah she caught the bug it is interesting too how in spite of how terrible her father is she's making a point to say how she has a crush on this basketball player who is also from her hometown and he's pretty good but not as good as her dad and so as awful as he is she's still putting him on a pedestal in in a certain way which i thought was was an interesting thing to throw in at this point in the story when he hasn't really been mentioned at all in this chapter it shows how much talent is valued in their family Mm -hmm. yeah that is sort of his crowning glory that he is such an incredible athlete one of those hometown heroes who was so good at football that decades later people still recognize him and talk about it which that's crazy i have a hard time seeing it but i'm reading the words so i have to believe it Also, this is the last thing I'll say. There's a lot of moving physically back and forth. She's in Louisiana. She's in New York. She's auditioning in Orlando or something for Mickey Mouse Club. And that process is really involved as we're going to learn. But that is so disruptive as a child. I to have to kind of reset every time, even though you did grow up in a small place and you in theory know everybody that still would be really hard I would think do you agree with that or did that kind of cross your mind as as she's kind of telling us about this very formative time in her young childhood I think we are finally to a part in the book where like I know what's happening to her like I know that she's done all of these things I knew she did star search I knew she tried out for the Mickey Mouse Club I knew she was on off-Broadway Um, And I knew that she continued to kind of come home in between. So I think I'm not surprised by any of it because it's just part of the the folklore that I have 
but yeah I can't imagine bouncing around like that but again she was a show kid she was a show girl yeah and I guess that is the difference there there are just some people who are made for that and I read that and I'm like (laughs) oh no that sounds horrible she also still always wants to come home. She like, she does these things. And then right after her immediate choice is to go home to find some normalcy. Ultimately, she does these things that make her feel normal. And then all of a sudden she's like, I am missing, I'm missing the performance and she wants to go back. So I I do think a lot of this back and forth was really driven by her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that does make sense. And it does make sense how if you're that talented and people react to you in a way that people react to Britney Spears, how could you not? be pulled back to that life if you know you've got it like so few people have it and she's got it whatever it is well she's got it and that's it for this episode be sure to follow us on all of the socials to join in on the conversation we would love to know your thoughts on the book until next time happy reading <laughs>